Hello fellow time travelers and welcome back to the Doctor Who Target Book Club, the podcast in which we undertake the huge task of discussing in story order all of the Doctor Who novelizations. Sorry, I had to do the Trump thing there. My name is Tony Quitt <laughs> and today we again have our three-person discussion panel including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. There's also our intermediate level casual fan who's seen several episodes but has not previously read any of the books except for one or two and this time it's none other than Dalton Hughes. Hello Dalton. Hello. And finally we welcome back the novice fan who has seen little to none of the original series and has previously read only a couple of the books. The always lovely Sheena Annapara. Hello Sheena. Hello. Today we're looking at the novelization of the fifth Doctor Who story The Keys of Marinus. Without further ado here are some fast facts. Doctor Who and the Keys of Marinus, adapted by Philip Hinchcliffe from a script by Terry Nation that aired from 41164 to 51664, published by Target Books in 1980. As of this recording in March of 2017, this title is currently out of print, 128 pages. Alright, so a couple bits of trivia about this story. You probably recognize that name, Terry Nation. Terry Nation was the creator of the Daleks and wrote the original story, which was a six-parter. It took the place of another script, which was considered too problematic to produce. Believe it or not, this was considered not problematic. Yeah, that's the <laughs> probably the funniest thing about this story. And so it was written quickly. Go figure. With multiple self-contained stories rather than one extended one to make it easier to film and adapt. Somehow this was easier. I'm not quite sure why they thought so. Yeah. According to IMDb... On the DVD commentary for the uh, movie Doctor Who and the Daleks, the producer Milton Sabotsky considered adapting this serial into one of those movies. I suppose we should consider ourselves lucky he didn't, because <laughs> that would have been kind of an interesting movie to sit through. Also, according to IMDb, uh, a scene cut from the script at the start of the episode revealed that the Doctor and Susan had been on Earth in 1963 at the start of the series because the Doctor was visiting the British Broadcasting Corporation to get help repairing the color scanner in the TARDIS, which was showing only monochrome images. He had been in such a bad mood upon his return to the TARDIS because the BBC had been infernally secretive. This is why the Doctor has a line at the very beginning of the tele first televised episode about his color television being hors de combat, a line that doesn't even exist in the novelization because, I mean, how weird would it be to talk about something being black and white in print in black and white? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. of course, it is not in the uh, novelization. And finally... You may have noticed that the Doctor's not present for a huge chunk of the story. That's because William Hartnell took two weeks of vacation in a row during the filming of episodes three and four, and that's why the group splits up the way they do, which is perfectly fine because we, you barely miss him. Yeah. Now, the writer of this novelization, and I'll pass this around to both of you, is uh, not Terry Nation, because Terry Nation never novelized the Doctor Who stories. He did write a novel of um, Survivors, which was adapted for the BBC. But Philip Hinchcliffe, who was a producer on the show, did write it, and weirdly enough, he wasn't a producer on this story, but worked on the show during the Tom Baker era, hmm. in the mid-70s. Okay. And his first two novelizations for Target were from that era. This one is his third, and from a, it's from an era a good ten years before his own. 
And the reason why was because Terrence Dix, who had become the de facto editor of The Range by 1980, was scheduled to write nine books that year. Nine. Mm. Which is ridiculous, even for Terrence Dix. And so Hinchcliffe was asked to come in and pinch hit a little bit and do this one. They also asked the first script editor, David Whitaker, who you remember was the writer of Doctor Who and the Daleks, Mm -hmm. to adapt his story, Enemy of the World, but he died that same year while he was working on it. And needless to say, it's an odd fit for this guy to be writing this book. I want to read you the blurb, and then we'll get to discussing this. Marinus! It's all caps. A remote force-shielded island set in a sea of acid, governed by the conscience... The ultimate computer which rules and balances the gentle life of Marinus, guarded by Arbitan the Keeper, ruthless protector of a peace-rubbing race threatened by Yartek, warlord of the brutal subhuman Vords, sworn enemy of Arbitan and of Marinus, who has within his grasp the keys of Marinus, the consciences, vital microcircuits, the doors of good and evil. Can the doctor find the hidden circuits in time? Arbitan's command was find them or die. Actually, no, it wasn't. No. Arbitan never no. said that. It he was said, just like be desolated. Yes, <laughs> exactly. You won't be able to get <laughs> into the TARDIS. No food or anything. No but, food or yeah. anything. So I guess technically it's yeah. or die. And it was like insinuated. Die real slowly. <laughs> it was insinuated. Yeah, it wasn't like going to kill you, but I, yeah. you can't escape. There's nothing really here for you. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit odd. So at least that, that blurb, someone had a lot of fun writing that blurb. Mm. And it certainly makes the uh, story sound really exciting. So my first question to you is, is this story really exciting? You know what? <laughs> For me, uh-huh. I really like this story. Mm. I love the beginning part of it. Really? I, I like, this has been one of the first, maybe it's just because I like things like this. I don't know, maybe I like Seas of Acid and okay. time tra- you know what I mean? Like time travel. Glass beaches. Stuff like that. Or like pyramids and crystals but for for me actually the first part of the book was really 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 interesting to me okay like i liked all the different segments oh. and that might just be because you know it's not just like one story that keeps going on and on and on and so on there's and a variety yeah too. i like the variety of it i like that they go to like one place and then mm. another place like they go to what four places all together yeah in the story so for me i i, li- I like that i like that okay. about it Terrific, Dalton. I enjoyed the story. It was it was easy to read. It was um, it was easy to follow once I actually like took the time to read it. Um, but I mentioned to you before how I started reading it and I put it down for a couple of days mm-hmm. and then picked it back up. And when I was reading it, I was just like, wait, 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 what's going on again? <laughs> Where are they? Who are these people? What's actually happening? Part of that just might be my bad for stopping the reading, but um. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. It As I talked about in uh, one of the other podcasts I did, I really could visualize this being on screen. Mm-hmm. Not as much as last time. I wasn't, I wasn't focusing on uh, the characters that I know right. from the Who, the Who universe. Um, but just kind of uh, visualizing new ideas and, and, and new uh, characters and personas for them. But um, yeah, it's, it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. It's not... Uh, this is true. Yeah. The most compelling <laughs> story, but uh, it it does have a lot of adventure and it has a lot of 
of different points yeah. to kind of draw you terms. in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, something else um, in my notes. Normally, I would start off by asking you about your overall impressions of the book, which I kind of did anyway. But the very first thing I want to talk about is this. This story does something that so few episodes of episodic science fiction do, which is exploring an entire world as if it's like ours, that it has different nations, Mm -hmm. it has different cultures on the same planet, rather than everybody running around in the same leotard, basically, and in the same makeup. And so on, rather than, you know, one single government and so on. And that's kind of what I was expecting, actually, when I first started reading it. I was expecting Mm. everybody to be like them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, because, like, that's how most other stories are. And that's how most sci-fi stories are, is, like, a planet is a whole planet full of one kind of people. But that's what I liked was that it wasn't like that. It was, you know, different kinds of people doing different Mm -hmm. things and had their own thing going on. You had the different locales. You had the... Each area they went to was totally different from the last. And... The, the way the people acted and the way the the characters interacted mm-hmm. with the people that they met mm-hmm. was totally different depending on where they were. Yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> that's that's something that Doctor Who really doesn't do very often. In fact, it doesn't do it after this. So I can't even think of one story where they go to a, a planet and they go to a different country on that planet. Mm-hmm. Star Trek definitely does not do it. No. It never does that. No. Even when you go back to Earth... Well, they have, you know, different countries on Earth, obviously, yeah. but by the time that you get to the Star Trek like, universe, yeah. it's all one yeah, government. The Earth, yeah, the Earth is yeah. the Earth. Yeah, yeah exactly. Itself. It's all uniform, literally. And it also does various different genres. We've got horror, we've got murder mystery, we've got whatever Jack London was writing. I don't know what to call that sort of fiction. Uh, Yukon fiction, what have you. Wilderness. Arctic fiction, uh, wilderness fiction, you know, Call of the Wild, whatever. And then you and I were talking in the car, and we were talking about the fact that there's even a James Bond element to it with these guys and the fetish aware and the and the uh, glass bullets coming up and mm-hmm. trying to kill the main person. Does it do these genres successfully, though? Would you say that any of these? I think it might be a nod. Just... Okay, and what? I mean, also... it's it's a nod in the fact that like you get a little bit of it, but it's not overexpressed. Mm-hmm. The only part of it that's incredibly expressed would it be the last part of the world where they have like the criminal oh, yeah. part of it. That's the how, trial, which is yeah. pretty much kind of like I mean, this probably bad for me to say, but that's like the most boring part for me. Oh yeah, you know what I mean? Like yeah. the first part was real cool because they're like, you know, oh, we gotta go on the next adventure, and then like the last adventure was like, uh, yeah, it's suddenly... okay, well I know it's gonna happen. You know what I mean? But yeah. But, I mean, that's just me. I enjoyed that. You like I, that? I, I love Law & Order, so, like, I, I love watching court cases <laughs> and stuff. And this, this, this specific case, just as they're talking about the culture and the way they do court cases, yeah. you are guilty until yeah. proven until innocent. innocent. Mm-hmm. And that's totally, like, turning it on its head. And it's yeah. like, that's an interesting idea. And I really like the way um, the doctor you know, tells them about, I don't remember the, the philosopher's name, but just tells them, you know, I, I met this person. Oh, I yeah. actually was like there when he was talking about this stuff. So mm-hmm. maybe you guys should check it out. So yeah, I thought that that was interesting. It, it was kind of tough to get through some of yeah, that. Yeah, that's what it was. It was just a little <laughs> tough, you know? But, but some of that, I've seen similar instances of that brought up in other, um, in other genres and other mm-hmm. uh, stories and things what popped to mind first for me was in the game chrono trigger oh. there's a i think it's chrono trigger 
Pretty sure it's Chrono Trigger. Um, listeners, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> yes, right in. <laughs> but, um, but in Chrono Trigger, there's a, there's a scene that, that is all about a court case. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like this minor part of the game, but it's, it totally is just like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It's really? a little boring, but it helps, it helps to drive the story a little. It helps to get you kind of a little more characterization. It helps you to kind of understand the, the place in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, even though that part was a little boring and yeah. a little just overwrought, I thought it was kind of interesting the way it was like, oh, okay, he's guilty because we say he's guilty. Yeah. He's... I, yeah, I also like, I like that part of it too. Okay. It was just the whole, for me, figuring it out that I was like, Ugh. you know what I mean? Because it was so like sketch. It yeah. was like really sketchy. It was like, it was like a jut in of information that I jut in and you're yeah. like, okay. And then you know, like the doctor already knows. <laughs> so you're like, Ugh. Yeah. Because he always knows everything, but you know. Of course. But in a way, that's kind of fun yeah. for the reader. Yeah. Because I've, I've kind of learned that as, as having watched uh, the vast majority of the new series. Even when you know the doctor is going to get them out of this situation mm-hmm. somehow, mm-hmm. you still feel that, that urgency and that yeah. like, oh my God, what's going to happen? What Are they going to be okay? Mm-hmm. This whole time, even though I knew the doctor would get Ian out, he'd be fine, blah, 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 I still was like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> he, they got him. They got him. But I also know that Doctor Who has a history of killing off characters. Yeah. yeah. In, well, not yet. That is coming up sooner that's than you true. think. Though. But this is coming from my perspective as someone who's seen mm-hmm. the new series yeah. and seen yes. um and i know some of the history of the series but you're right this is only the fifth story this is so true. they haven't started that yet. no but they will sooner than you think yeah spoiler alert listeners <laughs> by the time we get to november when we'll probably do our our double episode on the two books that comprise the daleks master plan yeah people start dying and it's a shock <laughs> And then they don't do it again until the 80s, so, yeah. Didn't play out well. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how it played out. We'll find out when we get there, though, because it's it's kind of bizarre. So we've got those different genres. What we will do is we'll hit each one of those stories separately. But let me ask you both, based on what you've read, who or what are the Vord? Who or what are they? They're like a lizard. Lizard, Mom. reptilian, amphibian. But they're a humanoid. Weird. So they have like a human body with a weird head. Okay. That's how I saw them. It's yeah. like a slope head, right? Like a pyramid kind of type head. Uh huh. And they're but they're human, and they're just gross looking. So I'm guessing they're like bubbly or like <laughs> slimy or something. Yeah, kind of phallic. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Is that what you were thinking too? Yeah. Just it, whenever I was reading it, hearing about the. The glass torpedo bullet things and the, like, latex suits they're in. It was very much, like, kinky <laughs> in a way. Yes. It is Very work. mid-century, like, futurism. But not a whole lot of detail, no. really, no. about them. No, just that they had, like, a lizard-like head and then a humanoid yeah. body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is weird because that's more than you get on screen. Mm-hmm. I mean, on screen, obviously, you get them in the... This- fetish suit they're they're like in wetsuits and they have these gigantic um helmets i guess you call them you never get to see a ward outside of its suit but where do they come from are they native to marinus are they from another planet where do you think they come from what's the story there that's where i was kind of in the middle of it because i was like 
Uh, well, they have to have come from somewhere else because they're attacking mm-hmm. on, with ships. Right. Yeah. But, like, they know so much about the machine mm-hmm. that how would they know? Right. So, so that's are, the part where it was like, I didn't know if maybe they were from, like, a far part of the planet. Mm-hmm. That the machine wasn't yeah, reaching? exactly. That's okay. what I... Or maybe they found knowledge out, they landed there, found out knowledge <clears> from somebody when those people were making those anti-machines. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's mm-hmm. what I... It was kind of hard yeah. to, like, grasp on whether they were from there, but there were the people who were making the anti-machines against the main machine. Right. And they obviously got in on that mm-hmm. but that mm-hmm. was only to like collapse the whole the system the um because the name of the machine that they were the the, the main machine the then, conscience, the conscience. Yeah. then there was like those anti-conscious machines that people made to refract what that was doing so they could get uh, at the beginning of the story there was like people who were like they made these anti-machines so that they could rob and steal oh. and do all that did I st- did I miss that? Dalton, did you? I feel like I remember yeah, something about that. Yeah, that's at the beginning. It's, um, it's like a, it's a machine that allows people who have this machine to go against oh. the, mach- the conscience machine. So that's why okay. they spread out the discs was because they didn't want them to get a hold of them, the people who had the... The anti-conscious right. machine. See, I thought it was the Archtack and, and the Vord that uh, managed to somehow get but, beyond the machine. Yeah. But I don't know if, if the Vord brought that there. That's mm. what I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's part of the reason why I asked the question, because it's um, it's not clear. Yeah. It's not clear on I, the board. Yeah, I'm not sure if they brought the Here, machine there. On uh, page 24, okay. uh, in the version I'm looking at, it says, Arbiton looked proudly at his listeners. For seven centuries we prospered. Then a vord named Yartek invented an immunizer. He made many of these immunizers for his followers. They were able to rob, cheat, kill, and exploit. Our people were unable to resist because the machine made violence alien to them. That's it. So yeah, right. so the Vord. So the Vord brought them, came there, and and then brought that machine with them there you in go. order. To... So it is the Vord. Okay. That have the ammunition. Yeah, That's I thought I was that like, was it, machines. but I wasn't sure if there had. I didn't know. I didn't know yeah. if it was just the Vord that had them. Yeah, yeah, but just just looking, just skimming back through here though, it doesn't seem that, that there is any explanation of where they really came from. No. Um, it basically just says the Vord discovered the city, they had the immunizers, and now they're going to try to come into the city they to get... They want total control they of the want, city with yeah. that machine. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I'm wondering if part of that... I, I have a theory about this book. My theory about this book is that Philip Hinchcliffe did not use the script to write it. I think he actually just went from tape, because okay. it's one of the existing episodes. Mm-hmm. He would have had access to it. Um, because there are a couple things that he, well, he doesn't put it in anything that's not on screen, for one thing. Okay. For, for another is that IMDb, I'm going back to them again, also tells us that Terry Nation originally came up with backstory for the Vord. The Vord are actually alien invaders. Okay. They're not native to Marinus at all. Um, they take advantage of the people of Marinus because the people of Marinus are rendered vulnerable by the pacifying effects of the conscience, and they have this immunizer that keeps them um, from being affected by it. I also suspect they're, that they're not necessarily all that uh, prone to it to begin with. 
the conscience is then deactivated mm -hmm. to allow the Marinians to fight the Vord. And over the centuries, because I guess Arbitan is that old? I don't know. The time they spent on Marinus meant that the Vord too could now be affected by the machine. Therefore, Arbitan dispatched agents to recover the keys, which would reactivate the conscience and allow him to finally defeat the invaders. And I, for the life of me, cannot figure out whether that makes more sense of what's in the book or less. I wouldn't have gathered the part where he was trying to get the keys back to get them under the conscience. Mm -hmm. But it makes sense now, so I'm guessing that, to me, it would make more sense. Yeah. Because then why get the keys? Yeah, because you know it sounded I mean? like, like Jarek was trying to get hold of it so that he yeah. could control the But then ones. I wouldn't have thought that the boards weren't able to not be under the conscience because why would they have a machine to go against it? You know what I'm right. saying? Yeah. So I would have thought they would have been affected by it. Yeah. So I guess that also does explain that too for me. Yeah, I'm sure that immunizer line probably is their quick fix for that. Yeah. 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 It, it seems like it's it was something we may have glossed over. Yeah. Um, something that was mentioned very quickly. Yeah. And, um, and it's there and gone. Well, I remember in the televised version, they do make a point of that, that the Vord have something that keeps them immune to it, mm -hmm. and there's something that could possibly bring them under its control. But I always thought that the stakes were more that the Vord wanted to take control of it so that they could enslave the uh, yeah, Meridians. Yeah, that's what I would think. Yeah, yeah. that's how yeah. I took it, too. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's what it is, though. I think that is it. I, think that's I just wasn't television. aware of the fact that he wanted the key so that he could enslave them. Mm-hmm. But then again, yeah. I guess, I mean, I might have thought that it would, if he got the keys back, he would have the ability to use the pyramid right. for its, you know, intended utmost use. intended use. That's what I just thought. I didn't think it was anything I'm wondering really more than that. if they may have taken that out because it makes Arbitan's motives a little more sinister. Because it's kind of hard to tell whether or not you can trust this guy because he does go to quite some lengths to get the TARDIS crew yeah. to do what yeah. he wants them to do. It's like, well, do this, or you can't get back in your ship. And it's like, okay. We just met you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yet they trust him within uh, five minutes because it's it's Doctor Who in the 60s, and you do that quickly. Actually, wow. they do that just as much now. Well, I was going to say, the, the, doc, the Doctor has a, an intense romance with danger. He really he, does. He just kind of goes headfirst into it, whether... Whether or not it's gonna, <laughs> I think in this story though yeah. he wasn't the first person to like want to go. Right. He, I think Barbara was the first person to be oh, like, yeah. "Oh, we just got to do this because whatever." Yeah, like, she's the one that has just, to talk yeah. him into it. But yeah. as soon as he sees the travel dials, he's like, "Ooh, this is so cute." Ooh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's like the vortex yeah. manipulator, actually. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 To show that nothing in New Who is actually new. No, 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 no. <laughs> They've done this before. Well, and I feel like a, a lot of the New Who they go back to try to tie in right. old Who references and really to bring the yeah. universe oh, uh, yeah. in on itself. So it probably doesn't seem trapped in time. Hmm. Unlike the Vortex Manipulators, though, these uh, travel dials don't actually let them travel in time. Even they just travel in space. They travel yeah. in space. Yeah. Even though there is kind of a weird thing to it that at one point you think, well, wait, the Doctor says he's been in Millennium or Millennius, whatever they call it for a couple of days and you're like wait a minute they haven't been to those other places for that long yeah. but the well doesn't the doctor he says that whenever whenever Ian and Barbara and um Susan Susan and I think at that point yeah. Sabitha however you want to pronounce her name yeah, um 
uh, I remember there being a point where the doctor says, I'm just going to go to point four. Yeah. I'm going to skip ahead. Yeah. So while everyone else is dealing with the... They're dealing with the screaming jungle. They're, they're dealing, dealing with the with screaming the, jungle. The, the rainy guy in the yeah. snow. The rainy guy in the snow. So he's, he's got to get to. He's already he's already in the city, kind of doing his thing. Doing his thing. Mm-hmm. So they don't really say how long any of this is really taking. But there's no way it could be days. There's just unless unless they are unconscious for a very long time in that arctic wilderness in which case but they're also like sleeping and stuff yeah in the in the, yeah. oh, that's, oh, that's in the right. first in the first area about that they do have at least one overnight yeah in and the doctor and, the, and they have one they have one in the snow area too mm-hmm. they do yeah okay so it's at least two days in the snow area the okay, part so with the cool. um screaming jungle mm-hmm. that's that not, one's pretty quick yeah that was yeah, quick. quick yeah um, so yeah, and, and after they were in Morphoton with the, with the mind control and all that, the doctor basically from there was just like, all right, I'm going to the end. Like, right. I don't, yeah. It's, it's I don't like, want to deal with these other genres. Um, I want to get straight to yeah. the court drama. Yeah. He's like, I don't like snow. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to do it. So yeah, it's, I think some of it's just maybe left open to the reader's uh, imagination but then also too if you think about the fact that if you had to travel a distance a distance there would be a time frame that you would need to travel that distance so maybe that's giving like a okay say it takes four days to get to the last place but for them, maybe it's you're instant- four days ahead. Oh, but for them, it's instantaneous. It, exactly. Okay, now that's interesting. I mean, that's I how I thought about it. I don't think there's any evidence in the script for that. Yeah. But, but that's that would more make interesting. that would make more likes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm well, much I, I'm that. Space and I no- I noticed too, like whenever they, whenever there was a character that went ahead of yeah. someone else or something, they happened, were in a different place. They, they were all a- didn't like pop up in the same place. They mm-hmm. they were in a different place, but also it seemed like just because someone's transported at the same time it seemed like some amount of time, time passed yeah there was yeah there was a little bit of a oh yeah just like when ian transported into the last place and then he right. was in the right in the center of what was going on yes. and they had already been there for like mm-hmm. for a like for while. a teeny bit yeah. but okay. he had arrived and all he did was press it a moment after they That's had got right. there yeah okay. so it seems it's like a flow tube but, yeah, so it's like Harry Potter. Yeah, so it seems like some of the. I wonder if that's what she stole it from. Yeah, some of the mechanics okay. of it is it's still not okay. like explicitly stated. Like mm-hmm. it's instantaneous, or you know, you hit the yeah. button and uh, X amount of time passes, yeah. and it's different for each. Yeah. You know, it's just so strange because there there are little things like that you find yourselves having to explain. But then do their watches. Right. So if anyone's watch is off... But they don't refer to their watches, do they? No, but they say it is a watch, though, because they're <laughs> oh, turning a because dial. because it's on the... Right. It is on yeah. the wrist. So it's... So there's that. It's also... Yeah, it could be like the hair. Uh, yeah. It's true. Continu- <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. Continuity <laughs> issues are uh, also uh, yeah. a well-known... Uh, Doctor Who things. So. Yeah. Yeah, it just seems like there'd be so many more of them in a story like this where you've got multiple so much stories. things going on. Yeah, yeah and you but, have to coordinate it all. It's no wonder because yeah. it is kind of a nightmare when it comes down to just plotting. <laughs> Still oh, enjoying it. It is. It is. It's just. Uh, Hinchcliffe, though. <laughs> we need to talk about his his writing to some degree. But I'm wondering if we shouldn't discuss the story first because the story is the thing. 
And the story that's in this book is not too far removed from the uh, televised version. It's pretty faithful to it, except when it isn't. Um, Hartnell's two famous flubs in this story, his line, it's impossible in this temperature, besides it's too warm. And you could, if you'd had your, your shoes with you, my boy, you could have given her hers, are not in the book, for obvious reasons, even though those are pretty well... There is one flub that isn't a flub, as it turns out. It's in the uh, Millennium Millennius section. And Nation wrote it into the script. And Hartnell delivered it pitch perfect. And it is not in the book. Which is why I think Hit, uh, Hinchcliffe is probably going from the... Uh, is going from the scripts. Not going from the scripts, rather. Going from the uh, taped version. Okay. Or from the scripts. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. There's a weird moment in chapter 10... And it's not in the book. Um, that Hartnell, Hartnell, the doctor says, I can't improve at this very moment. I can't prove at this very moment. And it seems like a fairly normal Hartnell flub because by then he was already famous for them. But it's actually in the script. That mm. Nation put it in the script and it's there and it's the doctor having this fumble. And Hartnell does it perfectly, except Hartnell was fumbling so much at that point that it looked like a fumble. <laughs> so God only knows, but it's not in the book. Hmm. And it's just kind of weird. Anyway. What was the context for that? Um, he's talking to, I think he's talking to Susan and Barbara at that point. And he says, I can't prove at this very moment who the murderer is, mm-hmm. but what I'm about to set up is going to show who it is. Okay. It's just before they do that whole kind of setting up the guy in the courtroom to say, oh, but they couldn't have done that because I, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing that always happens. Okay. Sometimes. Well, that makes sense, though. I can't improve this situation. I can't prove. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, but it's, it's a stretch, but it's, it, within that context, with the, knowing that the doctor is talking to mm-hmm. Susan and Barbara about Ian being on trial. Which is why I think he didn't do it from the script. Here's why I didn't think, uh, thinks, um, this is why I think he did not do it from the script. It's because if it were in the script, he would have rendered it yeah. in the novelization. If you were watching it on tape, he would have said, oh, that's Billy Hartnell doing another flop. Yeah. And he would have corrected it. And it's corrected in the novelization. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, that's a minor textual thing, and that's the only, that's the sort of thing that only I'd find interesting. So let's go on to more interesting things. How how do we feel about the way the uh, TARDIS crew is depicted in this book? Because we've we've all three of us read books with Ian and Barbara and Susan now. How do we feel about them in this? Like each character, yeah. how they are wise, yeah. like in the story, how they've grown. Yeah. Well, if they've, they've seen. Grown. They've. I mean. <laughs> Barbara's definitely not as scared as she was. I know at the beginning of this book, she's sick of being inside of the TARDIS. Is that this um, book, or is this that, that the last book? Because I thought they had said something about that in the beginning of the book, like that she was like, yeah, I think it was. At the beginning of this book, she's like sick of being inside the TARDIS, so I think like being in, out of it in general is like making her feel better, even if it's a danger that's... Oh yeah. yeah, that's it. Um, she refle- that, yeah. she reflected miserably on her inability to cope with space time yeah. travel. Human bodies were not built for it. She told herself, at least not hers. Which is odd because she never expresses anything like that in a book ever again. Hmm. That's that's Hinchcliffe's Barbara. Hmm. 
But yeah, but, like, for me in this book, like, in the other book, she's, like, you know, kind of, uh, you know, but she's always been, a, like, a pretty strong character, but, like, in this book, Susan seems a little, like, less of her wits yeah. than even Barbara does yeah. now, mm-hmm. in comparison to the past. Yeah. Um, Ian's kind of the same, maybe mm-hmm. a little more, you know, they've went through a few missions already, so he's getting his bearings. Yeah. But they all seem yeah. like they're working together. And they're le- they're more receptive to people when they first meet him. I think mm-hmm. you know what I mean, like yeah. to helping people than they were yeah. in the beginning. Well, yeah. I think that comes off of Marco Polo that they've had what weeks in Marco Polo? Mm-hmm. Is that how long that book goes on for? Yeah, it's... yeah. They've had this long stretch of time to get to know each other, and at the very beginning of the televised version of this, they have this little speech where they all say, "Well, it's been this lovely adventure, hasn't it? We've met." cavemen we've met the daleks we've we had that little bit of horror where uh susan tried to stab the both of you with scissors but don't worry about that <laughs> and we've met marco polo and they kind of recount recount everything they've done over the last several weeks and it's like huh but it's not in the book yeah obviously. yeah but yeah there's that bit of growth to it i was particularly interested in what you thought about barbara in this book though mm. because I know that you liked very much, in some ways, how she was portrayed in the first book. Yeah. Now, how do you feel about her in this one? She's a she's a bit stronger before she gets weak, before she gets strong again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think in this book, I don't I don't think she's like a shrinking violet by any means, like how she was in the first book that wasn't the first book. Right. But um, yeah, I think she has her wits about her. You know what I mean? She's understanding that in order to survive in different planets, you have to adapt. Mm-hmm. Which makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's point, you know, there's always, but there's going to be points in any story where somebody, you know, is very strong and then they're like weak and they're strong again. Mm-hmm. So I mean, but I mean, every every mission she went on, she was when she stuck with the creep guy. Oh yeah. She oh, God, yeah. fights him tooth and nail. Yeah, guy. the raper guy. Oh. Um, when she's <laughs> in the mountain, she's against those guards who are inside the ice mountain when they're like mm-hmm. trying to get the chip and. She's helping them build a bridge right. and almost the last person off of it. So, yeah, I think she's, you know, coming into her own. I've always liked her as a character, <laughs> you know. Yeah. She's she's always, uh, from from the two books that I've read so far, she always seemed to be more interested in, like, the humanistic aspect yeah. of mm-hmm. the people they meet, the creatures they meet, the beings they meet. She always seemed to be more like, let's try to understand what what's going on here. Yeah. Like, even, even with... Um, the the character in the snow whose name has left me but that guy the the bad guy oh, who his God. name's Vassar Vassar yeah yeah even with him even when it was just kind of like she was getting a bad feeling it's still like but he knows where they're at so like even if I'm in danger I'm gonna play along a little bit to mm-hmm. see where I can keep yeah this, you know? I can yeah. I can try to manipulate to, the situation and, yeah to try to yeah, they both I mean because Ian leaves. Yeah, exactly. You know, and like, like she's oh, stuck in there and him. she knows he's a, you know, he's already acting weird, mm-hmm. but then he's acting weirder when yeah. she's alone. Yeah. So, but she, she almost in a way is like, okay, we just transported here. Yeah. This is the first thing we've come across since we've been here. Yeah. We have to figure Maybe it out. Maybe this guy knows something about where our, you know, our cohorts are. Yeah. Where the people that are with us are. Whether or not that's going to lead me to... <laughs> ruin or yeah uh possibly you know being reunited we kind of have to be delicate about that story don't we because oh my god it really does have that kind of creepy near 
sexual assault yeah. feel yeah. to it. Which is... Because the guy thinks they're all going to die. Yeah. Well, and he sets them up to die. So he's like, okay, they're all going to die and I'm going to have this chick mm-hmm. in my cabin. Mm-hmm. And she's not going to leave because then she'll die from the wolves. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. it's like, it's just a setup for... And it's even worse in the televised version. Because yeah. at least on the page you get... Her thinking about, oh, well, what are his possible motives? And yeah. Right. Seems it's like on TV. And I see. I've never seen Obviously, oh, yeah. I've never seen we it. We still so have to do the pizza party. Yeah. 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 We still have to watch these. Yeah. Um, but he comes off as immediately. Immediately. Immediate creep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. At least they, here you have like a. He get Because he, you know, brings them both in. He gives them soup. You're mm, like, oh, okay. Right. He might be okay. Right. But yeah. then they talk about how hulking he is. Yes, exactly. And then you're like, yeah. ooh, okay. Well, it also doesn't help in the televised version. He's played by an actor who was well-known by that part, by that point for his villainous parts. Okay. So it's so like, it yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, Typecast. Like, yeah, they basically <laughs> cast Hannibal Lecter in this yeah. part. And it's like, oh, well, he's going to be nice. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's not nice. Yeah. No. So, yeah. <laughs> but I feel like, as opposed to in Marco Polo, where Tigana was like, from the get-go. Like, yeah, absolute evil from jerk, the Jerk, like, you already knew like this guy's trouble mm-hmm. this character was you didn't know his intentions yeah. you didn't know like is he lonely like not that that's an excuse for kidnapping anybody but <laughs> it's still like you know maybe he's worried for barbara maybe he's like i don't know what happened to them they possibly died i mean he dragged them both this... out of the snow so mm-hmm. you would think okay yeah so there's there's a little bit of that maybe maybe yeah yeah, yeah. but that's still like it still doesn't bode well whenever, you know, here, let me take you to this little cabin and like lock you in and I'm big hulking man. And yeah, still is like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. let's get ping, to know ping, each ping. other better now that your friend has gone out in the snow with yeah. all right. this raw meat in his pack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a little, yeah, it's Skeevy. difficult to watch that scene, but I noticed that when I was reading it this time, I was like, Oh, Hinchcliffe is actually making this have a little bit of suspense. Yeah, 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 it did. Because there sure. is no suspense in the televised version <laughs> at all. It's like, oh god, they're well, in trouble. Visual cues are a lot. As a culture, we are used to picking up visual cues. So oh, when yeah. you see it, it's like, of course, he's a bad guy. How they not know? Yeah, you know, you 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 know, but you don't want to know. Yeah, yeah. you have you a hint. Think that maybe exactly. there's another person right. who's nice. Surely they're not going to run into all assholes. Yeah. But <laughs> what's well, like Matt Groening's uh, joke about his son? Um, when his son was young, he said, "Why would anyone go to Dracula's ca- castle?" And he says, "Well, because they were invited." But his name is Dracula, <laughs> so you know this. Yeah, but yeah, that's yeah, and I'm sure the audience back in 1964 wasn't fooled at all. No, but it's just so disturbing to have that kind of near assaulty quality going on in a 1964. Yeah. Children's series. Yeah. Not Yeah, a and drama. you forget it's a Chil- children's series. It's too. a children's series yeah. with an educational mandate. Yeah. I guess the educational mandate that week was Let's don't go into the <laughs> <laughs> yes. Beware of burly guys who take you in from the snow because this is what they want out of you, little ones. It's like, oh God. Hmm. That's awful. Yeah. I mean, don't talk to strangers. Yeah, I think we just turned the podcast R. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Anyway, you can edit. Yeah, I, no. <laughs> no. Uh, let's, um, hmm. Okay. 
I mean, that is an interesting point of it, though, is like... The, yeah. That, it, that kind of... It's a different time. Yeah. That there's certain things that they can get away with in 1960s Doctor Who. And I'm watching Dark Shadows right now, too. So, of course, late 60s, early 70s soap opera, and you think... And I'm watching... I'm reading a blog called Dark Shadows Every Day. And the writer keeps saying... Yes, this was shown on ABC TV at 3 p.m. Mm-hmm. Children were watching this. They were yeah. running and home from school And it's funny, though, because they talk about it. now how, like, everything on TV now is crap. It's like, there was misogyny, rape, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and these were things that were, like, it is able to be, because they were the known fact yeah. Yeah. of they the were time. So, exactly. like, if you could beat your wife at that yeah. time and not go to jail, why wouldn't it be on TV? Well, I mean, it's still presented as a bad thing. Yeah. But it's also not but exactly... But it was more normalized, Yeah, though. it's not censored for the kids. Yeah. It's like, kids, this is kind of what you're going to see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you ever go to the Arctic of uh, Marinus, this is definitely what you're going to see. Mm-hmm. It's really creepy. There's another creepy part of that story, too. I know we've jumped a bit, but that's fine. We'll come back to the uh, Screaming Jungle, because I think that's the next one is those soldiers in the block of ice. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Was that... Just creepy? overall? Yeah. Um, was that effective? I thought it was interesting. Again, like, it reminds me of a lot of things I've seen. I mean, like you said, this was 1964. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the early 90s, so, like, this is something that has been kind of a trope in adventure films all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, the bad guys are frozen. The yeah. second that you touch the thing, they right. come to yeah. life. Mm-hmm. Indiana um, Jones. Yeah. Not that, yeah. not that there's well, ice, but... Actually, it's interesting you should say that, because I think that they spring from the same well. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. Terry Nation specifically said when he wrote this, and I can't remember where I read this, but he said he was inspired by the uh, serials of his youth, like from the 20s and 30s, mm-hmm. Perils of Pauline, yeah. that sort of thing. That's where we get Indiana, Indiana Jones, Jones is from yeah. that. that and it, sense. it very much is like, um, in a lot of video games and... and uh, role-playing games yeah, there are dungeons true. that characters go through and there are these puzzles pretty much that they yeah. have to solve to get the treasure yeah, like so that, so yeah. reading this part very much felt like you know I was playing Legend of Zelda and Link has to <laughs> yes. melt the ice yeah. to get, he has to get a, the piece um, of Triforce yeah. like mm-hmm. it very he much could have the sun to hit the <laughs> ice yeah, exactly. yeah it's yeah. you trade out you trade out the character so I I thought that was interesting mm-hmm. uh, a bit added in there um I didn't quite understand how, you know, they've been frozen in this ice for whatever, and then they melt, and they've got this... Magically, they have this mobility, and it's just like, oh... And they're instantly hostile. Instantly. Maybe they were made out of, like, metal or something like that. Yeah. Like, robotic. But not made... Yeah. But they they wouldn't really be say, human. They say, that, they say they're humanoid, though. And in the televised version, they're, they're definitely humanoid. Hmm. Yeah. They're also less impressive in the uh, televised version. I remember the very first time I read this book when I was a teenager and being like, oh my god, this sounds really creepy. And then when I saw the televised episode, I was like, aw. Yeah. so disappointing. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think that that lessens any of the, the effect, though. I feel like reading, like you mentioned earlier with Barbara, like helping to build the bridge after... It was, yeah. it was down. It very much felt like, oh crap, they're, they're stuck with mm-hmm. these things with these blades that are going to kill them right yeah it was still very urgent it was still like what are they going to do how are they going to get out of yes. here 
Yeah, I, I yeah, I didn't them. really think about that. Maybe because I was just thinking about the fact that like of like cryogenically freezing people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and I think you know what I mean. That's like, the way Hitch, Hitchcock actually describes yeah. it because he says they're in a block of ice. Yeah. Those. Yeah. They're so not. So that's. I mean, if you're cryogenically frozen in yeah. some super, you know, scientific world, you're just gonna pop up and be like, ah. Oh. Yeah. You're, you're <laughs> in the same mind frame you were in when they got put into it. Well, yeah. they must have Typically. really been in a bad mood. Yeah. <laughs> they all... set him in there like, <laughs> like a kill. Yeah. Even even Vassar, he like he describes them as demons. So yeah. immediately, I thought like these are these are creatures that don't necessarily have to play by the rules right. of normal biological whatever. Yeah. Also, not to mention this is science fiction, so true. Maybe they're just immobilized by the ice. They're not frozen. They just can't move because it's ice. It's solid. Yeah. They can't break out. So, but once it melts, mm-hmm. you know. So am I weird and wondering who put them there? Yes. Yes. <laughs> totally just like, eh. But then also, like... It was all set up in general, Arbiton put it there. Yeah, yeah like, but why? I mean, uh, this whole thing of, you know, spreading the micro circuits all over Marinus so that nobody can find them, but then putting them in these weird-ass places is just kind of... Did Arbitan? I don't. Well, I don't think he did. I think that the people who he gave them to did it. They, 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 I would think they touched on it a little bit in the. This was the screaming forest. Screaming forest. That Um, was one of the people. The old man says basically. Yeah. He he tells them you know you have set off the traps. Mm -hmm. Right. Anyone who knew about this who would come to get the key would know not to set these traps off. Would know, you know, the combination or where to step. But all those people are probably dead. Exactly. Because they were fighting the war. Exactly. So for for the demons, for these guards in the, the the frozen area, maybe there was some way to trip the Without necessarily yeah. setting yeah. them free. Necessarily setting them free. Maybe there was something that... You could that, have done mm-hmm. that, that, otherwise. Yeah. It could have been If you knew where it was. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. our heroes are just told, hey, I want the keys back. Can you go get them? Go get them by any means necessary. So... I mean, mm-hmm. at the beginning, we totally met, like, past that part, though, but, like, in that Morphotron place... Yes, we where do. They, like, we're to get there. Where they have those <laughs> things on their head. Oh, know? yeah. Um, that was, like, a total setup to be, like stuck forever oh yeah and so, i think that was half the problem that i think a lot of people that he sent out ended up there as slaves of yeah. the uh, brains and jars yeah oh. <laughs> yeah that's what they are yeah In no fact, i know yeah did you do yeah. a google search for their uh, no i didn't oh but... by, oh by all means yeah. you gotta you've got to do a google search for the uh, morphoton brains because oh my god they're probably horrible they're they probably like that one hilarious. thing hilarious oh whenever just... i was reading about them i was just picturing um the name left me at the end of Star Fox 64 the boss battle is a giant brain it's a giant brain they're with not eyes well yeah they're not that well done but you know what brain I'm talking about though. but yeah yeah. but still like, like that's that. what I was visualizing was giant brains they're not as mobile and they have a very odd speaking style because they speak well, in a bit of a well this is obviously why they were killed off quite quickly yes <laughs> very easily I mean Barbara just goes there they yeah. are yeah they're so cute they just look like they a snail yeah and they you know it's funny prepare the woman to be da 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 you know they've just got a voice like that and so Barbara's little act of uh Defiance. Defiance there is is impressive on the page, but uh, well, no, it's impressive. Period. period. Because my God, she's just all right. Let's talk about them. <laughs> it, it makes me wonder how no one has 
defeated them, foiled them before. If all it takes is like a push. Well, because they bring them in with all this stuff and they think they're being cool, but yeah. then you like take a nap and they stick something in your head and beds in your head and yeah. you're done mm-hmm. within what, like six hours? Yeah. But I'm just wondering how that, how what happened to Barbara, how she's the first person out of to anyone ever that? that's ever yeah. not been brought <laughs> under their well but she then they might have just escaped she had people to like mm-hmm. look after that's true so i mean true. if you were by yourself you'd be like out but you know <laughs> she, couldn't, she couldn't do it because she's true. got all those people yeah she had to look out yeah. for her friends yeah well, that, and she's also well she'd already been there for one well not a whole day well, they said she went to sleep for a while in oh, that room, which I was sleep. like, why would you sleep in that room? Right. Oh, that's like, a thought. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Idea. They're like, oh, she fell asleep in that one, like, cell that... Um, which oh. is a cell, because that's where yeah, they Yeah, put... it's a cell. Yeah, because then they... Oh. What was her name? Sab- Sabitha. You... Sabitha. Sabitha. She Which comes in there and she's like, I did bad, I did bad. Oh, that's right. She... Yeah, Well, so she had nothing her. else to do. Yeah. But then she's just standing there and then, like... Before that, she was sleeping. I'm like, how oh, did you sleep? Point, because they could have come back in and put the disc on her head. Yeah, but oh. she was already on a mission, like of self, self, not pity. Um, she was already like reprimanded. Oh, so like, I think she had in her it. mind mm-hmm. being like a drone type of person. That, oh, like, Sabitha. Yeah, she's right. only like I was thinking she's only about. going to cell and then gonna say, oh, I did bad, I did bad. Oh. She wasn't like talking about really. Right. But then she had that glimmer of hope, like when they brought up her dad's name, and she went, ah. Right. Oh, and then it like was gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that part of it. The brain part was kind of un- <laughs> that, the end of it. The end of it wasn't that interesting, but like that it whole is... part I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, especially... like the rags that they thought were like oh, yeah. fine silks, and the food mm-hmm. was just like nothing, like a br- piece of bread. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. I wondered how that would play out in print because on screen. It's one of the few times the doctor has to do a video edit because it was difficult for them to do that. Yeah. So you get part of that scene from Barbara's point of view, yeah. and she's seeing, you know, things as they truly like ruin. Like all gray and gross. And, right. Yeah. But every time and you it's see like the target crew, and beautiful. Her, that's when you see it as beautiful. Yeah. That's what like, I thought. I thought that part of it was cool. It's incredibly effective. Yeah. You never get to see the doctor's lab, for instance. Yeah. They take them into a room, and the doctor holds up a cup, a tin cup, and says, "Oh, I think I will do quite nicely with this." And it's like, oh, good lord. And yet it's effective. It yeah. works quite well. I mean, the brains, obviously. We're looking at a picture from um, Google that is in color. Yeah, the Morphoton brains are a little more um, uh, artificial looking in color, let's say. But definitely in black and white, well, they're still not impressive. <laughs> they're just not. They're just silly. And uh, they do look... And I noticed that the eyeballs. next thing that came up was the... Uh, the Gamesters of Triskelion, which basically did the same thing a few years later in Star Trek. But yeah, that's where she's beating the hell out of the uh, the brains. Which is just great. I mean, Barbara at least gets that moment of heroics. Yeah, then, totally. But then it ends up being reduced to screaming hysterics in the screaming jungle. But then that's kind of creepy. That's the horror story. I yeah. mean, that that's pretty creepy. Yeah, oh. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, I liked it. I I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah, I thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. I liked it. I'm thinking if Morphoton is the North Korea of this planet, <laughs> because it seems like it would be. Once you go in, you never come out. Yeah. Yeah. Then the jungle must be... 
don't know. The Philippines? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Madagascar. They're in the full Amazon of, rainforest. Of, and something weird has happened Well, that there. guy made all that stuff, though. Yeah. Which but is, he doesn't have a name. They just doesn't. call him the old man. Yeah, and I could never quite figure out why it was. That, was he just doing experiments there to yeah. pass the time? Prob- I think so. Yeah, and yeah. the whispering in the darkness. But then, like, why was he so afraid of it? Probably couldn't control it. Yeah. Probably got things out of control, and suddenly the um, naturalistic, Cthulhu-like nature thing. I don't know what I'm saying. Explain, well, they explain <laughs> the fact that like he made the plants so that they would grow at like an exponential rate mm-hmm. for some reason, but then it they just started doing it on their own at any time. Yeah. Like they grew up right themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. yeah that's it's what not I, terribly clear. It's not even... It's another thing that's clear. not incredibly clear. No. There's no. So he explains part of it, but like he, by then he's like dead. Yeah. It, it's like basically they explain the mechanic. It makes the noise and then it moves and Yeah, but then it wasn't even him who explained it. It was Ian figuring it out from yeah. like the jars and from right. his books. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that was meant to be the uh educational part of the episode. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> because it's like Well it's like B one oh three. Oh, it's so. a jar, it's not the same. It's chemicals. Oh, I should know that because I'm a chemistry teacher. Yeah. The hell? Honestly, dude. <laughs> yeah. Even though he wasn't in the other one, a botany. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, they was trying to get that uh, that job. Um, then we get to Millennium. It's Millennius in the televised version. So I, I actually saw why. in in the one I was reading there were a couple of typos. That... There was a lot of typos, especially really? with K- uh, Kayla's name. Mm-hmm. I have and one was Cola, yeah. and I only know that because I like I know a girl named Cola. She does my yeah. tattoos, and I was thinking to screenshot it and send it to her because oh. they like typoed it like at least like ten times. I'm wondering if that's because you you two are reading the PDF version. Yeah, I'm wondering if it's in the uh, the original because hmm. sometimes when they do text to uh, print or print a text, yeah, it would just be at the like total like probably the last chapter in which Kayla's in there Kayla. where they're figuring her out Kayla Kayla yeah cause her name's Cola 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 her Kayla. name's Kayla but they spell it Cola so yeah. I didn't know if it was Cola or Kayla actually yeah there were there were a couple instances where it went back and forth and mm-hmm. the same with the name of the city it went from Millennium oh, to Millennium Kala yeah. that's it um do you have that misspelling somewhere because I'd like to see whether or not it is in the original um, because that would be funny <laughs> if it were actually see. in there somewhere Ooh, I know except there's guys I know it's in there. here it's on page 116 for me so mm-hmm. um Kala Kola. Yeah. I'm sorry, Barbara said gently. This is right after, it's chapter 11, The Missing chapter Key. Chapter 11, The Missing Key. Chapter um, 11, Missing Key. So there's Kala. Well, there's another one. Kola's bright gaze flicked across their faces, betraying no emotion. Oh, Lord. Kala regarded the earnest face of the young man for a few moments. Kola crossed the room and stood with her back to them. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, that is embarrassing. Um, so but that is... No, no, it isn't. No? No. So it's it's the PDF version. Oh, okay. So listeners, if you're doing this like the rest of us with PDFs, I don't know why you would because, of course, you should be supporting your local bookseller. This book is not seller. a publication, though. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> you should be going on eBay yeah. and you should be buying them rather than doing something nefarious like downloading them. 
250 No, you're sure. sure as hell not. Actually, you might, because of this book, yeah, you might get it for a dollar. <laughs> Depending on where you go. Half-price books, are you kidding? Yeah, cola. It'll be cola. What else strikes you about this book? Anything else that stood out to you? Anything else specifically that... One thing that I notice about this book is that Hinchcliffe's prose goes from really majestic and poetic at times to just being clunk, clunk, yeah. clunk. Yeah. Like and I in, think that's what I felt like at the end, sort of. At the very end? Yeah, just in general. During the trial? Yeah. It was just very, like... It was just, like, hard. It's because, like, it's weird. Because, like, when I first started reading, I was like, oh, this is... I like it. You know? It's mm-hmm. flowing for me. It was like... I was going through it real quick, 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 quick. Then I got to Millennium or Millennius or whatever it's called. And <laughs> I was just like, eh. Yeah. And then I was reading it. There's parts of it that I liked. I mean, obviously I comprehended it. I just, like, it wasn't as, like, mm-hmm. it didn't feel as good as the beginning did. Like, at the beginning, I was just, like, I was reading it, like, I, oh, yeah. I mean, I read this book in, I would say, all together. And this was me, like, watching the TV. I read it in, like, three hours. Oh, yeah. wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. I read pretty fast, too. Yeah. And I have a pretty good comprehension. But, yeah. um... You know, it was like the end part was like, ugh, for me. You know I, what I mean? Like, I feel like, and this is something that I noticed, not so much with uh, Edge of Destruction, but with Marco Polo. And I, I these are, those are the three that I've read so far is uh, Keys of Marinus, Edge of Destruction, and Marco Polo. And this one and Marco Polo both felt like the story is very expansive. There's all these lush, exotic locales. They're doing this and that. And, blah, 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 blah. and then the end is just very very quickly just like mm. yeah, yeah and it's like but you spent all this time to give detail to the locations they were before to talk about this and that yeah and then the and part then it's that's just abrupt the part that yeah, yeah that's actually the part of the story you'd be interested in they're getting the last key they're yeah. at you know yeah the final you know resolution and it's just very rushed and it's it's like yeah why? i think that's why i didn't really i mean that's why for me it's like kind of hit like a Thing, you know what I mean? Because it didn't feel as like organic as like mm-hmm. the beginning did. Yeah, yeah. I've, and I've, like you said, he had watched the episode. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it played out like that in the episode. Yeah, you're just yeah. By the end, you're like, okay, whatever. You go I'm out. Just get him out. Yeah, you six, know what I mean? Like, yeah. You've been with these people for six six weeks, and you're yeah. Like, oh, so maybe God. that's how it translated onto the page. Possibly, possibly, it could just be Hinchcliffe saying, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'm under contract for this book. I just want to get it done." Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, I didn't produce this one. I don't care. And yet, it seems like when he starts the book, there's a lot of care to it because I specifically said that the first paragraph mm-hmm. of the first chapter, yeah. the day like every day on Marinus started clear and bright. The walls of the great city shimmered in the early morning heat, and a mile away the dazzling green sea washed gently over against the silver shore. Between the two lay a terrain of twisted, gleaming rock as if molten glass had spilled from the ground and solidified before reaching the sea. That's beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the next paragraph is at 701 zeniths intergalactic time precisely, and it gets all technobatic. Yeah. And it's like, oh. Well, even at the beginning, like, they describe the stones. They describe how sharp they are. Like, mm-hmm. how the ocean is acidic. Yeah. And blah, 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 blah. And all this stuff. And you're, like, getting all this detail. And then at the end, it was just kind of like, this is this dude. This character, this character, this character. This is the guy who brought you in. He used this to kill you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it was just kind of <laughs> like, bah, 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 bah. Yeah, it wasn't exactly. like, it wasn't, like, told in a way that, like, made you, made me, anyway, 
like incredibly interested yeah. as like the beginning did. Yeah, and I think it. I think maybe Hinchcliffe was like, I'm gonna ease into this, and yeah. then he's like, Nah. I'm yeah, then he was just like, I'm, yeah. That's kind of like how it read <laughs> yeah. for me, anyway. Which I mean, is... I like. I mean, I, I like the end of the story, but it... then it was also kind of a rushed. Yeah. The end of the story is only like what like. Oh, it's two great. chapters. Yeah, yeah, that last chapter is it, like the, basically everything gets cleaned up in like the last in two one pages. chapter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Chapter thirteen, final goodbyes. Yeah. It's two. And pages. then like so, the the whole part with that that area is like maybe a ch- maybe two chapters before that. Yes, and that's it. Which is so strange because it's in that scene. That the doctor finally says what the audience should have been thinking the whole time, which is, you know, your father was a great man, but he shouldn't have been trying to control people's consciousnesses with this machine because human will, uh, humans have free will. Yeah. And in fact, that's something that they kind of throw out there a little bit in the first episode. Then they have Hartnell deliver his kind of final thoughts in a Jerry Springer kind of way in the very last episode but it's so quick in that last page that you just yeah you're yeah like, so hey. chapter nine is where it starts mm-hmm. yeah. so there's only 40 pages and probably 10 of them are the end of the story yeah so there's 30 pages of the whole end of the story and it's not like it's a long page no so probably the because. first 90 pages is of all these different places and then you got 25 pages yeah. where you're like, done. You know well, the mean? murder mystery episode is, I, I, I know you liked, well, no, you said you liked it, mm-hmm. and you said you were bored by it. Um, it is the most boring part of the episode. But yeah. when you watch the televised version, you're like, oh, my God. Oh, can we just have those warriors back again? I know, I know. Terry Nation loves putting his characters in icy crevasses and yeah. having them jump over for a whole twenty-five minutes, but yeah. at least this time you made it interesting. Yeah. Why can't we have that again? And then to have her say, "Oh, I know you must have been upset when you heard Susan's voice." It's like you stupid cow. <laughs> You utter stupid cow. You had it all. They would never have suspected a thing if you hadn't said that one stupid thing. Eh, anyway, that's my, my biggest problem with it. Um, his descriptions are nice when he does descriptions. For example, the doctor, he, he, he carried a wooden walking stick which he shook vigorously in the air when arguing, which was often... I, mean, I love that description of the doctor. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's and spot on. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. But then he gets all techno babbling. Um, he describes the Vord as looking like Anubis, but then he says that the a uh, class one Vord assault trooper, and it's like, they're never that called mean? that. Yeah, that makes them sound all Borgy. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Or like they're robotic. part of like one race of like, they're not individualistic. Yes. He says at one point they're programmed to kill. And you're like, programmed to kill. Like, so, so are what, they, yeah. Yeah, so what are these things? Which brings us back to the, you know, very beginning. That it's just kind of really strange. Anything else that happened to stand out to you particularly? Mm-hmm. Vassar's grim death, even though he kind of deserves it? He asked for it. Yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> got stabbed in the ass he deserved it he actually does i guess um overall it just has it just has me wondering like what else exists on this planet like what else of of the destinations that they went to none of it really seems like 
cohesive. Mm-hmm. None of it seems cohesive, but none of it really seems like anything worth the Vord even. Yeah, like what do they have? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like why? Yeah, like why? Why yeah, here? Yeah, why do it? Other than the, other than the machine that there's control... no water source. Obviously, it's, it's yeah. like okay, yeah. It's, everything seems pretty. <laughs> yes. un, everything seems uninhabitable. Everyone seems very suspicious and mm-hmm. unhelpful. It's like yeah, oh. there's nothing really of any. I mean, the water is acid. They don't explain why. Well, just around Arbitan's island, that's how I read that. Okay, that he yeah, made that's a what I figured. Because I, then there's a place that has snow, so obviously there's yeah water so there's precipitation water that doesn't burn you. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it's like yeah, like but yeah, right though. There's nothing there there's that's nothing of, any, there. of Morpha, any real. Morphoton's a bunch of brain dead, like hypnotized people, yeah. <laughs> creepy brain things that just want to control everyone. For what reason? Well, where did they come like, from? And the jungle area, though very lush, is yeah. a little too kill lush. You. <laughs> dangerous. It's a bit dangerous. Um, the snow area has you know it's snow and wolves and Lots crazy of, demons. Yes. And it's just like and okay, well, don't want to go men. there. <laughs> so yeah, it's just like why are the Vord coming here other than to get this machine? Which, by the way. What are they going to do with the machine once they have it? Like, it doesn't sound like it's something they can take from the planet. No. Yeah. It no. doesn't sound like something that they're actually going to be able to use anywhere except on Marinus. So it's just like, okay. What's the purpose of it? Exactly. Right. It sounds like you don't even need this machine to incapacitate these people. Or to even, like, get <laughs> because what they'll they do it themselves. Have. Yeah. 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 It, it and seems obviously like... other things came in and did this already, like the brains. They weren't there. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right, and even, even the people themselves. I mean, they weren't there the whole time, and all of a sudden the brains were, like, activated by that yeah, yeah. machine to, this... like, have them not do that. Marinus sucks. <laughs> yeah. That's what we've decided even... as a panel. Marinus sucks. Yeah, I mean, the people <laughs> in Millennium are... No one wants the keys of Marinus yeah. because They're no one wants to unlock guilty it. Guilty until proven innocent. Oh, so. God, the whole place is just a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> Why would anyone want to come? here. No wonder the time travelers no decided we want to leave really quickly. <laughs> if Arbitan hadn't said, you do this or else, they'd be like, no. I mean, leave. <laughs> did they ever even really explain why uh, Kala, or whatever her name was, why she framed her husband? Why she stole they the did. key? There was something what? about money. money. It was all money. So basically... But who? I don't know. So it's, that's... It's Earth. Yeah. It's Earth, basically. Yeah. So it's just like... It's just yeah. like our planet. That was the part of that part, too, that I was just kind of like, money? Really? Yeah, like, it's all money. It, right. Well, they didn't, they exactly. never said about anyone being any richer than anyone. Like, no. what kind of society is this? Right. Like, is there a way to advance? Like, do people yeah. have more than other people? Like... Well, just repeat to yourself, it's just a show. I should really just <laughs> well, relax. It's, it's true. <laughs> but but it, 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 it just it leads to more yeah, questions. Yeah. It's, it really yeah. does. And I think that's the problem with these novelizations sometimes. Because so many of these stories are kind of written on a shoestring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you watch them, and say you're watching them the way they were originally meant to be yeah. seen for 25 minutes on a Saturday afternoon as you're having your tea, if you're having dinner... And then you never see them again. Yeah. That's fine. You'll you wouldn't never... even think about it. Yeah, yeah, you won't even have what um what um uh, TV trips Don't tell me people back then logic. didn't think this they much. They probably did. But they didn't have 
I mean, they discussed it within their family, but yeah. then they probably just discussed it and then didn't think about there, it. There was no rerun the next Saturday. There yeah, was no go true. onto the internet and torrent the yeah. TV show. Mm-hmm. There was no Netflix or Hulu to stream it on. Yeah, now we have. There was no DVD box set yes. to go buy. There was no encyclopedia of Doctor Who. <laughs> yes, exactly. There was no one tweeting, oh, yeah. Doctor Who gets more stupid by the year. Sad. You didn't yeah. have that sort of thing. So, yeah, well, some I of it. probably just took things at face value, too, because like, everything was new. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. I mean, I'm sure uh, the Doctor Who Appreciation Society wasn't formed until, I, oh, I don't know the date of this, but it wasn't until the 70s. Mm. So you had fans talking about yeah. this stuff. But they but were they talking amongst themselves. Yeah, and they yeah. weren't delving that much into yeah. it. Yeah. And also, you tend to delve in the stories you really enjoy. Yeah. That's <laughs> and true. this no. one's not high on the list. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it was enjoyable. Yeah. It, it was it just is. a lot of things were... I mean, we had this conversation last time with the last book we read, though. Mm-hmm. That a lot of things were just like kind of like it glossed over, falls and you apart wonder once more. You look at it too probably because you're interested. Yeah, yeah. But there's nothing wrong with that. Though the difference there, of course, is that David Whitaker was writing that yes. one, and the prose was stellar, or yes. at least more stellar. Whereas Hinchcliffe is kind of clunky here. Yeah, his his when he's adapting stories from his own. Yeah, like, I like the story in general. Yeah. I mean, we'll have to show it to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have to have one of these nights laugh. where I can and watch this well. and be like, yeah. totally like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think at this point we'll have to do a marathon because, and have Jenny over and yeah. show it to all of you. Speaking of what other people's opinions are, as we always do, let's go to goodreads.com for online reviews of the book written by other readers and follow up with their own ratings. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast and want to have your review featured when we get to an upcoming book, which no one's done yet, by the way, get out there, do it. Simply read the book, write a review on Goodreads, and then write a comment on our Facebook page to let us know that you did it. So we don't have to look for it. So we have a chance to see it before discussing the book ourselves. Even the dog agrees with me here. You may just get your review read out loud here. The average rating for this story out of five stars on Goodreads is 3.36. And the dog does not agree with that. Here are some sample reviews. Uh, Chibixio, I hope I said that right who gave the book 2.5 stars, said the following, The idea behind the story was interesting, but I didn't like its execution. I felt the same about the TV episode when I watched it. It's a good story, though just not my type. I didn't buy the world of Marinus either. The best thing about this book are the female characters finally saving the day. Both Barbara and Susan took charge of things and did something more than just staying there and being saved. This was actually the first episode in the TV series I started to like Barbara, and I still don't like Susan. (laughs) I watched all her episodes until she left. But she did something useful for a change during the Vaser sub-arc, and I liked it. I don't know what they're referring to. Oh, crossing the dice bridge. Mm. That's what it was. I wish the writers had given her more chance to show a smarter and braver side rather than just being a silly child. It's coming. It's coming. Not next story, but the next one after. And then we got Sabitha, to whom the narrator always referred as having the same aura of leadership as her father. I don't remember the exact words, but that was the general idea. Yes, for a reader in 2013, it doesn't add anything new. But if you consider the context and compare it with the previous stories, and maybe the whole season one of Doctor Who, you'll find some progress here. 
for a 1960 stories from mainstream media, I give it credit. Yes, Ian still keeps saving the day, after all, and being the great white male hetero hero. I like Ian. I just didn't like how gender-based they wrote his and Barbara's roles in most of the storylines, but at least we had Barbara taking that role at least once. Yeah, she clobbers the Yeah, brains. it was like all about it. He was in jail at the end. Yeah, he didn't exactly. didn't do anything. Christian Petrie gave it two stars, saying the story had potential but could not reach it. <laughs> the concept of going to other locations on the planet does sound interesting out of the four locations the first and last could have been expanded into their own separate stories as they could have created strong stories on their end okay. yeah totally mm-hmm. another downfall with this book is Philip Hinchcliffe's writing it felt he was taking the script and just adding brief descriptions around it plus a lot of exclamation marks inserted <laughs> The lack of description seemed to make it feel like you had to pull from memory what the locations and characters look like. As if you'd watched the episodes first, then read the book. Because it's based on the episode, the faults do lie with the original script. I don't know if there's a way the book could have been written better due to Target's page count limit. The first book is my doc- in my Doctor Who book reread that shows the faults with the Target novelizations. And finally, Mel, who gave it the high rating of four stars, says this, I do enjoy reading these kids' Doctor Who novelizations for episodes I've not seen. This is the first Doctor adventure written by Terry Nation. It was interesting as there were large chunks without the Doctor, and a lot of it was from Barbara's point of view. The story itself felt like a quest in a role-playing game. Mm-hmm with five different settings and adventures combined into one. The last section, A Murder Trial, seemed the weakest. There was nothing terribly original here, but it was still a fun, quick read. Um, so I'm going to turn to both of you, as we always do, and ask you out of five stars, Sheena, what would you give this? Um, I would totally have to go with what that last person mm-hmm. said. So four? I would say, I would say like 3.8, though. Okay. Um, but I totally agree. Her... If is it a woman? I'm not sure. Um, it doesn't matter. I didn't hear a name, but um, totally agree on the whole like synopsis of why they liked it. Yeah, I totally agree on the fact that the beginning and the end was weak. Like the first story and the last story was weak. It, there, there was so much more they could expand it on it. But I, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I liked the book. Mm-hmm. Like I read through the first like. 75 pages like a breeze right you know what i mean and, and i like stories like that i like to read a nice short little novelization that you know you, it's easy to read it's you know what i mean you can read on the train it's mm-hmm. just it's something it's it's nice and breezy you know yeah. it's not you, like you have to think too much and but also i i take points away from it because i thought the end was rushed it wasn't very explained yeah so that's why I would give 3.8. I did like the story overall, though. Okay, terrific. I just think I'd like to know more about it. Yeah. There's no way that's going to possibly happen. Someday. Yeah, not unless they revisit <laughs> Marinus someday. They might. Yeah. You never know. They might. God, I hope I not. Mean, <laughs> does anyone care enough about Marinus to want <laughs> them to revisit it? almost made a movie out of it. I can't imagine what this movie would look like, though, because they t- chopped those six-parters down to 90-minute movies, Yeah. which might actually work in this story's favor to some degree with they a bunch of probably have to add a little bit more to it though yeah I think they might yeah, yeah. how about you Dalton um <laughs> how mean do I want to be <laughs> um I don't know I feel like at, as, yeah I agree with you that like, like a 4 3.8 that seems kind of high yeah. to me yeah. I could even go as low as like a 2.5 like straight down the middle just mm-hmm. like 
it yeah. is equal parts good and bad. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a lot of stuff that that I liked about it. I liked like the the review we read. I liked the adventure aspect of it, the RPG aspect, the the fact that they went to different locations. But but again, the the first and the last were, uh, areas they went to were so expansive. There was so much going on. They they had to just chop it down so much that it's, you just lose all meaning for it. And it's yeah. just like, but that could that could have been its own book in yeah. itself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Morphoton could be its own book in itself and be compelling and interesting and like. Yeah, it was like rushed. Yeah, Yeah. so um, yeah, it was it was a good read. It was a quick read. It was it was a fun read. Um, Like like we mentioned, it's kind of like that spy movie Mm -hmm. feeling at the beginning with the Vord kind of washing up on the beach. And um, I I like James Bond, so that appealed to me. But yeah, something's just lacking. Something's just like it could be so much more, and it could be so interesting, but it's. It's yeah. not, and it's almost like, um, just this this quest to like get these four keys and bring them back to me. Like, it it could have amounted to so much more than it did, yeah. right. and it, it ultimately it was just like it fell flat. And and how like oh we found this key, we found this key, we found this key. We get to the last place oh, and yeah. someone stole the key. <laughs> yeah. It was it felt very much yeah. like oh I was waiting for that to happen. And then the end yeah. fell flat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's not the worst. It's not the best. It's it's there. Yeah. It's there. It's interesting. Um, but I definitely feel like like some of the reviews we said, be, th- looking at this through the perspective of this is a kids novelization. This is for children to read, mm-hmm. young adults. Um, yeah, totally like acceptable for kids to read. Yeah, Does if I was have... like thirteen, I'd be totally. I probably wouldn't even thought yeah. of all the things that we thought of. Like yeah. this, you know this, exactly. this like, is goosebumps. Mm-hmm. This is goosebumps, but like, <laughs> like science fiction yeah. goosebumps, but better. Yeah, I think sure. so. Um, yeah, it's something the kid. You know, like we said, we we read this very quickly. I read this probably in two and a half hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I used to breeze through Goosebumps, Arl Stein books like yeah. crazy. Yeah. And if I had, if I would have had these as a as a young adult, as a young kid, like I would, yeah, I would totally have blasted through all of these. Yeah, as for I sure. Did. Yeah. Yeah. And I did this time too. Yeah, that um, I think I probably took maybe two and a half hours to read this, which is about as long as the yeah. actual televised story yeah. goes. So I think I think. Once you look at it in that perspective, like you're looking at it through the eyes of yeah. this is meant for children. This right. isn't meant for adults who have are college educated, <laughs> who have read things that yeah. are way more advanced, way and more. And that's probably the only reason why we're putting this much introspection into mm-hmm. everything yeah. is because we want to know more. Right. But, exactly. But I think that's important to talk about. Um, mm. Just a lot of the stuff we've talked about, how. The timing, mm-hmm. the fact that these came out, the the series was in the early '60s. The books weren't didn't come out until the '80s. Yeah, this is 1980. Um, so some of that like is important to bring up. The fact that yes, we are in 2017 reading this book and having the opportunity to see it on film. Uh, you know that that totally weighs into it. You know, if I read this in the '80s, I would totally have a different as, uh, perspective. Yeah. If I saw it originally in 1964, I would have a completely. You know, 1964. Right. If I saw some amphibious space creature in a latex suit on TV, I might like. Are you frightened? Exactly. Oh, yeah. It would yeah. totally be a, have a different effect on me. And but, just think about like 10, 20 years from now. 
Yeah. How would it even be? Yeah. Well, it's probably fetish porn. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's but that's that's a part of it. It really yeah. it really goes to show like the the staying power of Doctor Who. It is right. re- it really is something that kind of transcends time and space. Yeah. It is something that is appealing even, you know, 50 years down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure. In, in some, like, I mean, like we said, it's successful in some ways and not in others. And so that, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, okay. I agree. And as for myself, I'd probably give it a little lower, probably 2.3 out of 5 stars, <laughs> mainly because after coming off watching it and then reading this, I'm like, ah. Because I realized that, and I think I said this before, novelizations, especially one like Edge of Destruction or the Daleks, they have the ability to expand on the televised story to give us something more than what we can just see with our own eyes. Yeah. Now, yeah. granted, 1980, nobody was going to be able to put Keys of Marinus into the VCR and just crank it up anytime or download it from the internet. Oops. Um, put in the DVD and watch it because it was bought because the DVD is still in print. <clears throat> Some of us still have VHS players. Yes, we'll see. There you go. But in 1980, well, maybe not so much. No one was actually going to watch this. And that's what makes it so disappointing to me that Philip Hinchcliffe could have really expanded on this. He and could it wouldn't have, have made a difference. And it, it, well, like, I mean, it wouldn't have changed that it was already made. Right. And it, it so you could have, have made it more. Yeah, and it there wouldn't have been any harm. There wouldn't have been yeah. any harm, and it would have actually expanded the story exactly. to some degree. All that backstory that Terry Nation gave it, the reason why it's not in the script is because the script editor said, oh, well, we need to cut this for time. Mm-hmm. Hinchcliffe could have come up with something like that. There are later Doctor Who authors that will do that. Um, some of the latter-day uh, novelizations that are done in the 90s and the most recent ones done from Douglas Adams' scripts really do that because they have to. Those are written for adults. They expand on the story. They make it a different story than what you see on the screen. So maybe I'm holding this to a, um, holding it to a standard that it would not have been held to in 1980. Yeah. I'm sure a teenager in Britain in 1980 would have said, oh my god, this is a story I'll never get to see and it sounds so exciting, and I'm sure I did too. Yeah. yeah. But at, in 2017... I can barely stand watching the story. <laughs> anyway, so thank you guys for being part of this, and thank you, fellow time travelers, again for giving us your valuable time. Next time we'll be reading Doctor Who, the Aztecs. Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it's written by John Lucarotti again. <laughs> if you've liked what you've heard here. Like us on Facebook if you add a comment on that page. If you think there's something we missed here, you just want to tell us you like us using your words, you'll be entered in our next Target Book giveaway. This time, some lucky fan randomly picked by me will get a gently used copy of Doctor Who and the Brain of Morbius, which Philip Hinchcliffe did indeed produce. He didn't write that novelization, though. Uh, check our Facebook page at Doctor Who Target Book Club Podcast, all one word with no spaces for more details. Also, feel free to give us a thumbs up on YouTube, follow us on Twitter, we're at w, uh, DWTargetBC, or subscribe to us via the podcast provider of your choice. As of right now, we are on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, 
and one other beyond that, in fact, and I can't remember it, but I'll figure it out and put it on the Facebook page. Not worth remembering. No, obviously <laughs> not. So don't don't subscribe to them. If you really like us or you really, really don't like us, post your comments, suggestions, questions on any or all of the above platforms or email us at dwtargetbc at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening and enjoy your travels. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.